Hey, everybody. Welcome to Midnight Revolution. Midnight Revolution is a podcast celebrating the friendships that anchor us in life and the deeply centering and transformative talks that accompany them. I'm Malisa Joes Khan, a family medicine physician, entrepreneur, wife, and mother of two. And I'm Catherine Akiko Day, an art director for film and television, a painter, crossfitter, and activist. Our music is by Alishaba Etoop. Today's episode is about daily peace with special guest Mirelle Phillips. Yeah, I was trying to prep for this and I was thinking about daily peace and I and and this is the way I prep for things is like as I'm falling asleep as I'm like laying in my bed I'm like okay now I can do the podcast work (laughs) (laughs) that's how I've always been I can't write things down I can if I organize it in my mind it will stick but if I write it you know writing it down is like just an extra step for me that hinders my creativity but um interesting yeah I was like um what is that? And then nothing was coming to my mind. I was like, what is daily peace? I feel like it's something I think about a lot. Nothing. Like there was nothing. And granted, it's late. So I'm tired. And also I haven't slept very well for the last few days because the kids haven't been sleeping well. Right. But, but I was trying to think of like what happened. I feel like at some point I did do things consistently and intentionally mm-hmm. but like since having kids I'm like what is that thing I can't yeah. remember what it is yeah and what I realized was not that I don't do anything is that it, not that I don't do anything but it has sort of morphed into mindful parenting because that's just what I'm doing all the time yeah um I'm always parenting and and so daily peace has really transformed into sort of intentional moments of your day, like taking time to meditate or taking time to do yoga, which, which are things that I actively did like in medical school and in residency, even scheduling these things in, it turned more into how do I approach this moment that I'm having difficulty approaching through understanding awareness acceptance, compassion, you know, either for myself or for my kids or for my spouse or for the moment, you know, and that's hard. And, um, so yeah, yeah, so that's what, that's what I was thinking about for daily peace is that it's, it's, you know, I wish it was more intentional. Like I wish I had more time to just be like, and I'm going to meditate every day. And right. I just, I don't have that mind. I don't have that body. Like I, I wish that I did. I wish that I could be that person, but I'm not. And because of that, I've, I have all these hacks of how, mm-hmm. how I get through the day yeah. without saying being as good at organizational things, right? Like organizing time into my day. Uh, so I have these hacks of, of how do I just understand this moment? So the moment becomes easier. And that's mindfulness to me. That's mindfulness. Yeah. And that, that kind of ties into daily peace. That's hundred percent what mindfulness is. And it's funny that we, I think everybody does this. We all have this kind of idea of what it should look like, right? Like this idea, this like Instagram idea where you're like, I should be in beautiful yoga pants and like looking upon an 
like a nature kind of vista and I should be like meditating with my hair in a French braid and like <laughs> you have this like idea of like a, a Tibetan song, singing bowl like going and like everything just so but like that's was it that's like a retreat that's like a yoga retreat <laughs> like, no. that's like the opposite of the daily work you know yeah because like we don't live in that I like the French braid detail on your just that's your what imagery mind. that's what that? I'm picturing it's 340 do you when do you need to go I have to leave like now okay three all right well, well we'll stop it there then hey there dear listeners We recorded the start of this conversation on one day, which you just heard. And then next we'll hear from Mirel. And then Mollis and I will return on a third day's recording and finish our thoughts on daily peace. So despite going to the same college, Mirel and I didn't meet until years later through a mutual friend who also went to our school. As you'll hear, the connection was both immediate and sustaining. As the founder and CEO of Studio Elsewhere, a design and technology company that develops interactive multi-sensory hospital environments to aid in the diagnostics and treatment of brain diseases, Mural literally studies and reimagines the idea of daily peace in her work. Basically, Mural designs physical environments that tap into us as humans in a way that fundamentally helps us heal. So I wanted to ask Miral what daily peace means to her on a personal level. Hmm. I loved the prompt and it absolutely set me into a few different directions. And I, there's something that I touched on and I'll see if I can articulate it in a cohesive way, maybe together with your help. Yeah, yeah. But um, it comes down to this idea of how do I acknowledge and appreciate the ecosystem that I live within every day? Because that's where my daily peace is at. There's something about understanding, because I think this is just the way, this is how nature, the reality of nature is set up, is that everything is only in existence based on its relation to something else. And that's how I feel just also as a human is our interconnectedness with ourselves and the natural world too. Mm. Um, And how to be a positive impactor, to have a positive dynamic on the ecosystem that I'm coexisting with every day in this way that what my actions are, are going to have um, in a kind of day-to-day small way that it's left it, it's nourished it, it's caused some form of regeneration in the in, mm. in this in this environment, in this ecosystem. So what I find is just having meaningful social connection. Like just really intentionally, just you know, knowing that if I've had, if it's five minutes, something with somebody in my ecosystem where mm. you've you've done more than just had a transactional conversation. That's a lot of work that we do every single day is very much just a series of, you know, X, Y, Z, you go through that, you're exchanging information. You're not having something that's meaningful in terms of what that human interaction is. 
And I found this was hugely important during the pandemic is that the one thing that was keeping me mentally healthy was actually carving that out um, with in my work environment, in my personal life. Um, and something that's very small, but I think is huge as well too. So you can just leave every day with, if nothing else, having that moment of being present with somebody else, listening, seeing them, feeling seen, feeling heard as well too, mm -hmm. is something that brings me um, daily sustainable peace. What is that like practically out of curiosity? And I've been mm -hmm. kind of asking people this a lot in the pandemic. Like, what does that practically look like for you? Was it like that you had to schedule in FaceTimes? Did you meet people for coffee? Did you social distance meet people outside? Like, what was it for you that, that what were the kind of things? How did you carve it out? I had an abnor abnormal pandemic experience because I was... Um, it was our moment as a studio to just kind of rise to the occasion with our work. So we were we were in hospitals every single day since the yeah. pandemic started, deploying our environments, kind of doing this crisis design work. And wow. so I never had the work from home, mm -hmm. work from, you know, I only had an experience of in-person in the eye of the storm every single day. So it was yeah. quite intense. At the same time, exposed to tremendous community, humanity. So it was it was very intense in that way too, um, from a social uh, wow. perspective. So I almost had, um, there was almost so much meaningful connections every day that you almost, in that way, I had to actually have something that was a little more focused and I do this a lot now and we incorporate it into our weekly um, studio meetings where just ask, how are you doing? And how can I support you? Mm -hmm. Those are the two questions that I find myself asking others on a normal basis. Yeah. And you really, with people you don't know that well, um, it can be a very tender moment where when you ask someone like, how are you doing, doing? <laughs> and, and if your experience, there can be this moment of me, <laughs> like, do you really want to know? <laughs> yes. I, I love that because how are you doing? And then how are you doing, doing, right? Mm -hmm. And then you mm -hmm. maybe use your eyebrows, maybe you turn your face, maybe you make mm -hmm. a joke of it, but you wanna like let the other person know, no, I really do want to know the truth. Mm -hmm. And I'm really here to accept that. And sometimes you're not able to be in that headspace and that's fine too. But when people do hear that, I think sometimes I've said it and I've, I, I, I love to hear your take on daily peace because that's something I've been cultivating a lot too is just, even like where you get your coffee or where, you know, my, my, you know, a, a school teacher that where my kids go to school, maybe somebody you're like acquainted with, but not necessarily very close that it's okay to ask them how they're feeling and they may not want to share and that's okay. But I, I think just asking is such a, it's like an invitation to say like, we are together, we're in this together. And even if 
they don't say, maybe they don't open up or they don't share everything that they're going to through, but that lovely thing of saying that, that interconnectedness, that should something arise in the future that you do want to share, I'm, I've asked, right? And I might ask again in the future and that would be the invitation. And I, and I love that. I love that interconnectedness, as you mm. were saying in the beginning, that really reminds us that it's one humanity that we're all sort of together. And that really, it makes things really simple too. It, yeah, it, it just simplifies everything that we're kind of all in it together. Mm. We're all working towards kind of the same goals and it can simplify crisis. Mm. It can simplify stress and grief and trauma and just that mindful presence. I think having like everything that you're describing made me think about this idea of having small town ambition in the way that you really, like again, with the ecosystem that you go through life and you check in on your acquaintances the same way that in a small town, you kind of check in on everyone, everyone does and that you have those mannerisms um, and it, it makes your world, um, it brings that type of intimacy, even if you're working in big cities and working yeah. kind of globally on larger projects. And of course, because most of our work these days is entirely digital, that's a very, that's a habit that you have to, and it's a muscle that you have to keep executing, yeah. which is how to stay small town, how to stay in this way that um, you're, you have to actively practice that there's a human on the other side of that email. Right now, most of them are not doing great and you be able to have some grace with that. Yeah. I also love to define this mural because when I thought about writing your little bio intro, it's the first thing I thought of was like, I feel like it's your trademark is that you become fast friends with strangers. Like everywhere you go, you're, I feel like every time we hang out, you're like, I met this amazing person. <laughs> and you tell us like their entire life story and you just happen to be sitting next to them like on your way to the beach or something. And then like you forge these connections and you have this impact on people because you, really look at people and it happened with you and me too like you and I when we first met and we didn't know each other and we just happened to sit next to each other on a kitchen counter and and you but you really look at people and you really slow down and take the time uh to ask the questions and you and you wait for a response you like look into the other person's eyes and wait and it signals, just like you said, that you really do want to know. Like, you're not just asking. You really are interested in the answer. So it's interesting to hear you kind of put this into words, what I've seen you put into practice, like, constantly. And I think it's, it's amazing that you consciously see that as something that gives you daily peace. Thank you. Also, that was really... That's, that's a beautiful mirroring, Catherine. Um, it is something that I, I think that I've, 
I've always had and in some ways feel somehow out of place in time with it because our some something about our society over the past few decades and as you know we've since we basically have gone to college and I think social media had some impact on this is that we started losing what the real reward is mm. of listening to others and being able to have those type of um, those those connections and to have patience with it as well that it takes time um, you know I we say fast friends but I think actually what's much more the truth is like long friendships and so when you kind of start and there's that initial you know attraction and oh there's definitely something juicy here to explore but then you actually do the work you know and that's something that I've been able to share with Catherine um, that we you know started with just the initial kind of connection but then how to sustain that with depth and work over time. That's beautiful. I mean, this is also validation station because, you know, that's what Catherine, I'm always floored by Catherine's ability to be present and just like show up hardcore for things, not physically, physically, obviously too, but just emotionally and, um, mentally be present for things is something I've like really always admired. And I feel like that's what sustains friendships. And it's, it is part of, for me, it's a part of daily peace and really helped me survive also during the pandemic, which is uh, to really like be present for things that are important to other people is something I've really like picked up. I'm really inspired by you, how much you do that and how much you put aside of yourself to say like, I will carve out this time for this person and be there. I will show up to the puja. Like I will, <laughs> I will come to the thing. And, and, and also like Morel knows you from college and I know you from high school, which is such a formative time. We talk about that a lot, but at that time where like, I was this very different person as at least in my mind, cause I was Indian and like everyone around me in my high school was not necessarily that. And I had these friends that were different, but you know, all of my friends in high school and, and their lifelong friends always like showed up for me and with non-judgment. And I think that's something you're talking about, morale too, is non-judgment and space, right? Space for that person to express themselves without judgment. Um, the presence, the space, the mindfulness that, that you're really just letting them be who they are and observing that and, and kind of like then joining in rather than as you become adults, you're sort of forced to say like put on a certain type of face put on a certain type of interaction and show for like the sake of moving on to the next thing like yes i'm good you're good your kids are good your your work is good this is yeah that's fine you're you know you kind of ask the questions you check the boxes and you just move on to the next thing it's a little bit transactional so in mm -hmm. high school where it's so formative and tender and like um, having really great friends and friendships really, I think was so fundamental for me to, for me, for my, my identity. And I really appreciate the way, you know, you guys are speaking about your friendships. Cause I think, again, this is why you're, we're 
Catherine wants to interview mm-hmm. you because these are such meaningful and valuable things that are going on with such young people, right? And that's the beauty of human beings to me is that we had this the whole time, right? You were this person the whole time. But as we become older, if we don't sort of water it the correct way and we don't nourish it the right way or we neglect it or we say that's not important or maybe that's not so important, then we sort of lose that or it becomes hidden or buried under other things of adultness. Like if we don't define it too, like we realize defining it as important. And then it gets watered that way too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that I'm in general just a fan of humans, a fan of fan of it. I I'm big into the fact that people are, you know, gems in multidimensional oh ways, and you can. And I I probably less understand the approach of this kind of like transactional informational way. Um, that we've developed of kind of getting some type of profile information that we have of each other which doesn't really mean much. It doesn't give you the experience that is doesn't do anything um, for you. Improves your quality of life ultimately. Well, Miral, thank you so much for taking the time. You're our first interview on the podcast, which is so exciting. And Thank you so much for sharing your story and thank being you. with yeah. us and thank you both. sharing your magic with us. Mm. Thank you both for doing the same and for having this, um, this show, which I think you're just going to have, you know, we're all going to be very lucky to hear the stories that come out of it in your own friendship. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. That means um, a lot. Until soon. Okay. Bye, ladies. Okay. Bye. bye. I was thinking about this when I was uh, putting my kid to bed yesterday. And and actually before that, also I, I laughed because on my way, <laughs> I think on my way to work like yesterday or the day before when I was driving to work, I was just like imagining your very vivid description of how your hair would be in this <laughs> perfect scenario with the oh, braid. Oh yeah, the braid, the French braid. <laughs> I don't know why I was just like imagining that and just like laughing to myself like the image of you with the French braid doing yoga anyway so (laughs) this is like the opposite of that this is not a French braid doing yoga so like my kid was sick and she's two and she just wants to like be with me all the time and there's like a lot of tears and there's a lot of like crying and and you know, using a whiny voice because they're trying to ask for help. And that's the only way they know how, even though in the moment, I'm just like, not in that headspace, but (laughs) I try to remind myself that. So that's part of my daily piece as well. But when we were going to bed, I was uh, holding her and I had to like basically hold her the whole time until she was in like a deep, deep sleep. So I was feeling super overwhelmed. I'm like feeling overwhelmed, even like thinking about yesterday. and just stressed from the day because it was just so much of this. And she's been sick. And this is like happens, like kids get sick, but it just mm-hmm. builds up like they're needy and they're they're crying and they're sick and they have a fever. And then you're trying to get them to get medicine, but they don't want it. And the other child is feeling like neglected and, yeah. and 
and you're just stressed and you're trying to like finish your work. And so I was so overwhelmed. And uh, as she was like on my chest, um, not all the way asleep, but like almost finally not crying, Mm -hmm. I started doing like four, seven, eight breathing, which is something I like recommend to people all the time because it's so simple. And I had just like explained that to, to a patient the, the day mm. before. And I'm like, you know, I need to actually do this thing that I tell other people to do, yeah. which, yeah. which I, I do and I have done, but it's really hard in the moment to remind yourself when a yeah. lot of stuff is, is feeling overwhelming. Yeah. Um, that I was just like, I can do four, seven, eight breathing. And even after I finished it, I was like, I don't feel any better. <laughs> And I could only do like, I did like three, you know, it wasn't not even mm-hmm. a lot because, you know, mm-hmm. by then she like woke up again and I had to like put, right, right. put her back down and huh, yeah. So, and I was like getting this tightness in my chest. That's what happens when I get really stressed. I get mm-hmm. like a tight, tight chest and I'm like <gasps> trying to breathe through it. And I'm like, oh, it hurts, <laughs> it hurts my chest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that was like, that's an example of like how to really bring in like an awareness of yourself mm-hmm. in a moment that feels overwhelming yeah. because that's the only place you could start to even get peace. Yeah. If you don't acknowledge yourself and it's so easy to go through the day and I do it all the time where I don't, it's so yeah. easy to let that build up. And then when you're trying to get peace, you have to break through all of this wall that you've built up throughout the day to get yeah. through the day. Yeah. So it's like a twofold thing. It's, you know, throughout the day, I was trying to really acknowledge how overwhelmed I was feeling and mm-hmm. really acknowledge myself and my own feelings while also, you know, then I have to then take all that energy and juice and give it back to the kids. Right. So I have to right. then acknowledge them and help them and, and not flip out, even though I did a couple times. Um, but so it's like a twofold thing of trying to acknowledge your own feelings throughout the day. That's how I can do it with parenting. It's just, it doesn't take any time. It just takes awareness right? Um, to kind of listen to myself and say to myself, instead of saying, and this is really easy with kids or even like pets that are not like sort of quote unquote listening to you, you know, when yeah. like our cat is doing something. I'm like, oh, you're so blank, right? This is yeah. so whatever. Mm. But really I try to, what's happening is I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm unable to cope with this. I'm feeling dysregulated. So, and with children and any, any sort of weaker being, it's easy to just put it on them and say, it's, it's their fault and Mm -hmm. they're doing this wrong thing. And why why are you being like this? Exactly. Um, why is, you know, why are you being like this? And, and it's not, you know, it's not an easy job to parent or caregive Mm -hmm. or, you know, take care of another being. So mm-hmm. it's really understandable, but also I'm, I try to continuously remind myself, like I'm feeling dysregulated. Yeah. And I'm, I may be feeling dysregulated because I'm having trouble d- coping with your dysregulation, but it's not your fault because you're right. a child and I, I have the coping skills to do, to, you know, to cope with that. Um, yeah. So my daily piece really starts from just like this very basic work of acknowledging what's going on in the day, being aware of it, and then processing it at some point, and then maybe including things like mindful breathing. Uh, it's great if I could exercise, when it doesn't always happen, True. you know, to actually kind of solidify that. It's a great release. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much but, yeah. of 
for everyone, but especially when you're overwhelmed with caretaking, there's so much of taking moments to drop into your own body and your own physicality. And that's part of what exercise does for us, right? But my friend Lauren talks about, you know, she has a, a young son and and doing like kind of momentary grounding things where she like feels the floor under her feet or like thinks about the feeling in her fingertip, recalibrating your brain and your body to like be on the same plane. Because sometimes when we're overwhelmed, right, we, we get stuck up here and we're like so overwhelmed in our heads and we forget to be in the moment and be present. Totally. And I say that like all the time in practice, uh, you know, to, to patients is, you know, a lot of physical illness is a manifestation of our, the disconnection of our mind and body. And it might come out as heartburn. It might come out as back pain or headaches or jaw pain. You clench your jaw, uh, panic, anxiety, like these are all manifestations And, and not that they, you know, inherently don't need to be acknowledged for what they are, you know, back pain or jaw pain or chest mm-hmm. pain. Uh, but can we then like step back and say, well, what's happening in this moment that's really leading to these outcomes? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, from our, for the chronic day-to-day stuff, a lot of times it's, it's that mind-body disconnection. Yeah. And a lot of times I just prescribe mindfulness and I am so surprised at how much people respond to it. Like Mm. I'm all, you know, this is, this is my practice is to include lifestyle into how I treat people, but you never know where someone's coming from. If that makes sense for them, if that could be put into the paradigm that is their life. Mm -hmm. And I love mindfulness again for this. And we were talking about it before is that it's so fundamental. It's so universal. It's not religious. Mm. It's not even spiritual. It's just very mindful. It's just being in the present moment and allows you to connect your mind and body back together. And even if you just do it once, or even if you just do it, you know, any moment will help like incrementally fill up your tank just a little bit. So Mm -hmm. every bit can help. So even though I got through the, that 478 breathing being like, oh, that didn't help at all. You know, I'm sure it did help in a certain way in a small degree, or maybe it helped me to not boil over at some, some future point, like 10, 15 minutes later um, and cope. And that's the subtlety. And I think like the value of, of that work of Mm -hmm. trying to be mindful. Uh, And I don't even want to say trying to be mindful, but practicing mindfulness or practicing that. I learned a lot about this. We touched on the other day when I was going through a difficult breakup and kind of grasping for something to center me or to, it honestly came came from a place of like wanting to make it stop, right? So, so much of like what I was just saying, when people try to force it, a lot of times it comes from this place of like, I want this feeling to... I want to not be in this feeling or I like, I want to want this feeling to stop and I want to not feel this way. I don't like these negative emotions, the, the difficulty, the struggle. But when you actually dip into Buddhism and mindfulness, it's more about releasing into whatever's happening, not resisting it, not fighting it. Um, and so I came across Thich Nhat Hanh just random, I think I just Googled like Buddhism books or something and uh, was like, oh, this one looks good. I think, I think I read the heart of Buddha's teachings or something, some title like that from that he wrote. 
and learned a lot, learned a lot from it about letting go of past and future uh, and dropping into the present, non-resistance uh, to the moment, things like that. And then as, as we said before, we kind of, I talked to you sometime after that and you were like, oh, I love Tech Nathan and that you went to Plum Village. Do you have a, a snippet from your time at Plum Village? Yeah, so like, that's a good question. I, you know, we always, uh, over sort of a few years of reading Thich Nhat Hanh, maybe two or three years, we had really, uh, when I say we, me and my husband, Jason, um, had really identified with it and really latched on to the ideas of mm -hmm. just bringing peace with you in the moment, yeah. you know, peace with every step is one of his other books. So it's, it's really like each step, could it be peaceful? Could it be mindful? And I, and I think there's like an important caveat between meditation and mindfulness. So as an Indi Indian person growing up Hindu, there were times where we did like meditation or you meditate on a mantra and like, yeah. And that's really common, but meditating, which is focusing on an idea and mindfulness, which is being fully present in the present, present in the moment mm -hmm. are not synonymous. Although right. you could try to be very mindful while you're meditating. Right. So you could try to put all your focus and intention onto one thing while, while, you know, while you're meditating. And you could be very mindful, you know, while you're doing it, you could really be present in your body, present in the moment. So they're not synonymous. So I didn't really have a lot of experience with mindfulness until I, you know, really read Thich Nhat Hanh and started practicing mm -hmm. what that really uh, meant. And it was like really transformative. It, you yeah. realize the power of just that moment. And I think in Plum Village, so we said, oh yeah, we'll go to Plum Village. That sounds really cool. There were like a bunch of surprises because we went in kind of, I don't want to say cocky, but just sort of like <laughs> happy-go-lucky about yeah, it. And sure. we got there and it's a week and I was pregnant too. I was like 22 weeks pregnant or something. Wow. And, you know, it's not like a really challenging time of pregnancy, but you're still pretty tired and you're still pretty yeah. like hungry all the time and like a little cranky. Um, but <laughs> we were like in for a huge surprise because- mm. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a monastery. So people are quiet. They don't talk when they eat They They follow very specific rituals and practices. And, mm -hmm. you know, I always thought of, you know, Hinduism as extremely ritualistic and Buddhism right. as a foil to that, or a contrast to that, not, not necessarily the same, but a lot of practices, even though they had different intentions, so the intention was different, but other practices were very rigorous and really rigid. Sure. And, um, we were like, Whoa, this is hard. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, we need to be on vacation right now. Like, I don't need to be at a, like, this is the one time like in residency tested. where we, yeah, we we're one time in our residency experience where we get to go on vacation together. We framed it as a, you know, as a rotation, a learning about how can I apply mindfulness into my practice, which I do all the time. So it's been pretty invaluable. But at the time we were also thinking like, oh, <laughs> but it will be, yeah. well, we were like, it'll also be like a cool vacation. It wouldn't right. just France. be like work. Yeah. It wouldn't just be work. Right. 
yeah. But we got there and we're like, this is really hard. This yeah. is actually really hard to live this way, right. to live intentionally in every moment, mm. to be intentional oh, about what yeah. you eat. Sounds exhausting. That's <laughs> really exhausting to be intentional about what you eat and how you eat it and you know, how you interact with people and, you know, they share in work. That's part of their like philosophy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's work to be done, like clean the bathroom and, and clean the garden and, uh, you know, harvest stuff. And, and of course there's downtime and there's Dharma talks and there's, um, you know, there's educational pieces. That's the whole point of a retreat. Uh, Mm. but there's also like sharing in the daily work that they normally do. Um, and then there's also like waking up at four to get some meditation at five. So wow. <laughs> at some point they didn't, I was so small at the time that, you know, it was so early in the pregnancy. They didn't really know that I was pregnant. And then they were like, oh, you can skip 5 a.m. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for letting me skip 5 a.m. Um, they said, you know, if you need to sleep in, it's okay. But yeah. I, that that wasn't really the point. I think when we started feeling uh, uncomfortable emotionally, like mm. not physically. So there's a physical discomfort of waking up at four in sure. the French countryside where everything is pitch black and you're just like, no one should be up at this time. Everyone yeah. needs to go back to bed. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, we started judging it. We started mm. judging the situation and saying like, well, we don't need this. Like, mm. I, I don't need this. I need to go on vacation. I want to, we could just leave. Why do we have to stay? Like these yeah. people can't make us X, Y, Z. It's so <laughs> weird that, you know, yeah. all kinds of judgments just sure. left and right. Like, why is it so weird that they do this? And like, mm. do I even really have, do I have to stay silent? That's weird. So kind of like, being like the snarky high school student in this situation. But then I'm like, no, I elected to be here. Yeah, like, I volunteered I, I, for this. I paid, yeah. I paid money to like lit, do this for a week. So there's a reason to stick this out. Mm. Um, and we were kind of on, you know, we had different energies, me and my husband. He was definitely more antsy. And I was more like, well, let's just see it through. Like, okay. I think it'll be, be good. But it was definitely us also working together. Cause then you're sort of like annoyed with each other. Sure. <laughs> of course. Honest. Yeah. You're like having to walk two miles to go to town, you know, it's like this whole thing. But when we really stopped and like trying to live outside of that moment and we, yeah. we accepted that we were going to be there. Right. And, you know, almost accepted from each other, how we felt about it. So I had to sort of also accept how my yeah. husband felt about it and be like, instead of why can't you just, yeah. Yeah. why can't you just every conversation that starts with that does not end well. Um, <laughs> why can't you just do something else? Yeah. Do something else. Think of something, you know, think yep. a different way. So kind of accepting also what he thought about it. And we sort of all accepted, you know, between us accepted all of it. And the whole situation changed in a lot of ways, but the, the crux, I think of it for me, when I reflected on it was that two things, once you feel uncomfortable, most people immediately judge a situation. I need to leave. I need to get out. I need to change. I don't, I don't like my job. I need to quit. Right. Not that you shouldn't quit. It's something that's toxic or bad for your, for your life, but can we take a beat? Can you take a moment to just observe what's happening? That's mindfulness, right? Observe what's happening, Mm -hmm. accept what's happening, and then try to think of it in a more, you know, kind of from a more clear state. Yeah. 
and like that's where the beauty of things really comes in that that openness allows for growth allows yeah. for you know these experiences that we would have never had had we left you know had we been like you know we could just go to the beach it's not that yeah. far <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. and that would be so great but now these life experiences that I had in those last four days is only a week. It's only eight days long. Yeah. So those last four days were completely transformative. I'll never forget. And, um, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of have with me for the rest of my life. And then the second thing I realized when we were there is it's a practice so that when you make these very small fundamental changes, you can take them with you. They don't take extra time. It's not doing your French braid and going to a yoga, yeah, yoga yeah. on the beach. You know, it's, I mean, you can do that. That's you awesome. Can. Yeah. <laughs> but no it's, judgment. it's these, no judgment, but it's these small things. It's the bells that they do on every 15 minutes that allows you to drop into yourself, remind yourself to be present. Right. It's these um, staying silent. So you could be intentional while you eat. It's they're really simple practices. Yeah. It's not, you know, phil phil philosophy. It's not praying to Buddha. It's not, you know, and which was kind of how we were looking at it in the beginning. Like it's really these small practices that you incorporate into your daily life that make it that you don't, you don't spend extra time being this way. You yeah. just make this a part of how you live yeah. and that's the beauty of it. And that's the, the value. So that's, like, that's well, what we took away. Thank you for sharing that. I actually didn't know. Thank you for listening. That about your, like I, I heard a little bit about your Plum Village experience, but that was cool to hear that kind of overview and takeaway. Listening to you, it there is some discipline to it, right? Like in our culture, that's so much about hustling and grinding and using that as numbing, right? Like, and just, just continuous movement that stopping actually at first takes a lot of discipline to, to get yourself yeah. to sit still. And we're so used to fighting the moment and fighting negative feelings, fighting situations. And I want to talk a little bit. My, my sister-in-law pointed out, she, she teaches yoga. She's a, she's a teacher at an elementary school, but also teaches yoga on the side. And she talks about you know, going, teaching yoga classes or going to yoga classes and, and a lot of people choosing to skip Shavasana, which is the final part of a traditional yoga class when you assume what they call corpse pose and you breathe in silence and, and just kind of the idea being that you let everything you just did kind of manifest and, and rest in your body. And she was like, so many people just like leave and skip it. And, mm. and we don't know how to rest. And, and, uh, and it's also tied, you know, a lot of people because of our culture kind of glorify hustling and grinding and not sleeping, right? Like not need, yes. oh, I don't need sleep and I don't oh, need God, uh, yeah. this or that. And, and someone who's done a lot of work in this area that I started following this year is Trisha Hersey who created something called the Nat Ministry. Uh, and she identifies and defines rest as this kind of revolutionary act of resistance in, op in direct opposition to this culture that we exist in uh, that is super capitalist, that kind of commodifies people and time and land and resources yes. and uh, your attention and 
Uh, and it's this hustle culture, this grind culture. It's like rooted uh, in white supremacy in, in very real ways. And the founding of our, our country, which is very, uh, you know, founded in patriarchal white supremacy and capitalism as kind of the ultimate goal. Yeah. And so her, her, her nap ministry is just about stopping, just rest, take a, take a nap. Like, and that her argument, part of her argument is that our culture tells us that we shouldn't or can't do that, that it's wrong. Yes. Uh, that it oh. go, goes against uh, our value as productive, grinding people. Uh, and so she's like, no, <laughs> like, do the opposite of that. Um, it's actually an act of resistance for you to take a nap and it and and she really promotes the idea of dreaming of taking moments of and and I think some people might call this the idea of self-care which has kind of been made fun of in a lot of ways but she's like no this this time that you take away from this grind culture these naps that you take these moments where you just sit and breathe and dream like these are actually the most fertile ground for your creative human self and they work in a in a way that's in direct opposition to this kind of I, this culture of machine um that works to to make you feel like you're never enough um so i, I, I really love that. love that yeah I love that. And I think it makes me think so hard of just medical education and mm, yes, and oh, the type of, I mean, just start starting from the beginning education. And I was, I was, you know, my, my older one's going to kindergarten soon. And I was trying to think like, well, what is school really about? And people are like, you know, it's really just in kindergarten. It's just about you know, like being able to sit down and go to the bathroom and like, listen to the teacher. And I'm like, Okay. Yeah. Maya could do those things. And then I was like, why is education about sitting down and like listening to the teacher? And yeah, that's crazy. I was thinking like, wow, that is the thing that we want our five-year-olds to do when in reality, we should be teaching them emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. We should be teaching them how to, you know, problem solve, how to cooperate in a productive way, not yeah. just obedience, but how mm -hmm. to cooperate with other children to say, get to a productive outcome. And this is, you know, as far as my daily piece, I feel so much of my learning came from understanding parenting and, and child psychology and mm -hmm. how to, how to really parent children, which is really about how do I acknowledge my own trauma and past and how I'm taught to yeah. kind of form or take care of other people right. and, and work on that so that I can be a positive, steady, you know, a uh, role model for mm -hmm. my, my children. Yeah. And, and the, and then after, after learning all that, and then now you just throw them into a regular school system and yeah. you're like, wow, like there goes all that, like all that there's, work. No, yeah. <laughs> there's no creativity. There's a lot of like mm. disciplinary actions. There's a lot of like, you have to yeah. be this way. You have to study mm -hmm. this way. There's yeah. no fitting into a creativity. Mold. Yeah, there's no room for kids with ADHD. There's yep. no room for kids with any con yeah. anything that puts them outside of this really pigeonholed yep. idea of yep. education. And I don't even want to call that the norm. 
It's just what's no, promoted. It's not as yeah. common. Totally. And that parlays really well into the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is disability and accessibility. And I just wanted to point out to you that uh, you just said a few times, and I'm working to bring this out of my vocabulary, but the word crazy, like trying yeah. to change it to wild or outrageous or something more descriptive. Um, that's less about mental health. It, it's a struggle because you're so used to these words, but uh, recognizing that they kind of stem from this kind of like schoolyard bullying-ish kind of what's good and what's bad, what's normal and what's not kind of binary. Um, but disability and accessibility, just like you said, that there's kind of this pigeonholing of what's normal and what's not, when in fact all of us are super complex, super nuanced. Uh, ability and disability are completely, can be completely fluid things. So like, and the idea that we're in two camps is completely false in a lot of ways. Um, and the idea of daily peace and the idea of rest is so crucial to disability and accessibility as a group and a movement. And at the same time, if we create a society that is radically inclusive of disability, then we, we will all be taken care of and we will all be treated like human beings if we're allowed if we, if we live in a culture that not only allows, but promotes nuance, flexibility, different modes of learning, uh, resting, uh, any kind of normal, right? Having flexibility yes. outside of anything we define as normal, which is a, a false kind of idea, um, that we would all be better off. I mean, even part of like the pandemic, right? And a lot of people working from home. I've, I've worked to kind of ask for more of what I think I need. It, it helped me kind of realize that working from home is actually great for me in some ways. And I also love working in the office too, and being around people and being in the thick of it. And so I've kind of requested a, a balance of the two that speaks to uh, like disability culture where it's like, I'm a nuanced human being that my mental health, my ability to function in my as my best self in the world, my ability to take care of myself, to take care of my pets uh, would benefit greatly from the flexibility of both being able to work from home and be in the office. Um, so even things, small things like that, where if, if our employers, if, but also if we ask for it, right, if we are in a culture where we feel that we are in a position Powered. to ask for things that we need for us to function as full, healthy humans, then we're all the better for it. So first of all, first, thank you so much for you know, taking the time to point out the, the word crazy mm -hmm. and what it can imply. And you're absolutely right. These words that we use sort of carelessly um, really have a significant meaning and mm -hmm. especially to uh, certain, you know, uh, people 
Yeah. And like normalizing, like offering that feedback too. like, I remember months ago, I put like in an Instagram story that my dog was had like a spazzy girlfriend from my building. And someone I love, my friend Sham was like, she DM'd me and was like, I know you would want to know this. And this is actually like a derogatory uh, word. Uh, so I removed the story and I was like, oh, thank you so much for telling me. But you, there's so many words we just grew up with that we yeah. just don't, that we could put a little effort into rethinking and, and you actually use more specificity when you're like, oh, what else, yeah. how else would I describe that? And you kind of think of a different descriptor and it's like, it actually makes you think a little more critically about what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's, it's so, it's so important. And I think this is the idea that you're getting at as well is when, you know, some people might say this and say like, see this or hear this and say, well, like, do we have to be so careful about everything? Politically correct, we, yeah. Yeah, do we have to, um, in this world you're describing, there would be like no rules and there would be no um, uh, structure and right. things would just be like out of hand and, and things wouldn't get done. But I don't think that's the point. I think what you're saying is when we see not it, the world not as us and we are tolerating someone and yeah. we are, or even this is normal, but you're okay too. Kind of like saying, yeah, uh, yeah I used to really dislike the word. We, we were taught this in elementary school, tolerant. America is a tolerant yes. of other. Yeah. And it's like saying like, I can tolerate you. Yeah. I mean, when have you ever said that to a friend? I really tolerate yeah. you well. Yeah. That's not, that's, an, and, and I even find the Terrible. word inclusive. I'm including you right. into my norm. Into my normal. Norm. And that's, that's, I don't think, I think, both of those terms don't get at what you're saying, which is when we see humanity as a dias, you know, a diverse diaspora, like everyone yeah. is part of the human diaspora. Yeah. You know, everyone is part of this and it, yeah. and it's, and it's multicolored. It's a rainbow. It's a yep. spectrum, right? And it's Not constantly even, in transition. No one is solidly this or that. And when we acknowledge that and we create policy that reflects in yeah. this uh, this oneness of humanity, we can it becomes very simple. Yes. People need leave when they're breastfeeding. People need accommodations yep. when they have uh, a special uh, when they have a disability or or an ability that's different from other people. Yeah. Um, so we need to accommodate that. And even though it's it's not what's always done we need to do it this time. Yeah. And that's normal. Right. And you yeah. have empowered to ask for it. And it's part of policy. Yes. If you have the rights and yeah, we have, we have, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, anti-discrimination acts and we have, but, uh, you know, civil rights acts and human rights, but do we see this in cult? It doesn't matter what we're writing on paper, but if we right. don't see this in the day-to-day -day culture, yes then exactly. there's still a huge gap, right? And we know that mm -hmm. based on the way neighborhoods the are zoned. We yeah. know that the way that, you know, who gets into school, yeah. right? Like we know that how much people are paid. We see this, yeah. this is not the truth. And those yeah. are just a few examples of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what you're getting at. We need to treat humanity as this 
fluid thing. And we all know when, when, when we're being dealt with and we up, right. Or we messed up. We mm-hmm. want to be treated as, as this, well, that's just one time. I'm not a flawed, that way. Yeah. Yeah. A flawed, I'm flawed. I'm not, human. Yeah. But when mm-hmm. it's somebody else, we want to be like, no, they have to fit into this mold and yeah. they have to be this way. Yeah. And that, this is all exactly like why I ended up doing what I'm doing today, which is it took a real, it was a real hit for me to say, I'm not going to be making X amount of money right mm. out of residency. Yeah. I'm not going to be make, you know, I'm not going to have this title. I'm not going to be working at this level because, you know, I I'm taking the rest. Like I'm doing this in the way that makes sense for me so that yeah. when I see a person I can get there. And these are the two concepts we talked about, but in, for me, it's actually ties in exactly with exactly mm. what I'm doing, which is when I see the person and I'm learning, I'm in the privilege of hearing your life story mm-hmm. that I cannot do it in seven minutes. I, I just yeah. can't, I can't do it yeah. in seven minutes. I can't do it in 15 minutes. Yep. I can't do it in a long visit, 30 minutes. Whoa. That's, you know, crazy. <laughs> when you go to the doctor, the doctors yeah. get 30 minutes with you. Right. And you know, half of that is just, you know, various other things that happen have to happen that day right, for you right, to get right. seen. But that's why I'm doing this because yeah. I fundamentally felt like no matter what system I worked in, even you know for underserved people, other types of settings, hospitals, there is no place where it's really this is valued yeah. in this way, and it's a big beast. I can't really fight against it right now, and I, I'm, right. I'm like I want to do policy work. I want it to change, but right now this is what I can do, yeah. and I can spend time with yeah. people, you know, listening. And I, I am so humbled and in awe of people's stories and, mm-hmm. and the 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 wide variety of human experience yeah. and and the connection know, i mean this ties soapbox, into what but mirel was talking about about finding peace through daily connection and connecting with other human beings and the oneness yeah. like yeah all of it this was a really great session oh i loved it i love yeah. your prompts very thoughtful and like you know, I want to say that it naturally just flows, but it clearly you've thought about the elements but and you connected them it was, together. It was a little more like <laughs> slapdash though. It wasn't like, I wasn't thinking, like I just wrote it down like five minutes yeah. before. But it's the, it's your mental, that's your genius, right? Like that's your work <laughs> that you can do really well and really easily because you've studied a lot of stuff, you know? So but <laughs> I'm just acknowledging your genius. Thank you. I appreciate it. Validation station. All right, mom. Okay. This was great. This was great. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Midnight Revolution with Catherine Akiko Day and Melissa Joyce Khan. Our music is by Alishaba Etube. Like, follow, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts.